Chapters ten to twelve of Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia, by Samuel Johnson. Chapter ten, Imlac's history continued, a dissertation upon poetry wherever i went i found that poetry was considered as the highest learning and regarded with a veneration somewhat approaching to that which man would pay to angelic nature and yet it fills me with wonder that in almost all countries the most ancient poets are considered as the best whether it be that every other kind of knowledge is an acquisition greatly attained and poetry is a gift conferred at once or that the first poetry of every nation surprised them as a novelty and retained the credit by consent which it received by accident at first or whether as the province of poetry is to describe nature and passion which are always the same the first writers took possession of the most striking objects for description and the most probable occurrences for fiction and left nothing to those that followed them but transcription of the same events and new combinations of the same images whatever be the reason it is commonly observed that the early writers are in possession of nature and their followers of art that the first excel in strength and invention and the latter in elegance and refinement i was desirous to add my name to this illustrious fraternity i read all the poets of persia and arabia and was able to repeat by memory the volumes that are suspended in the mosque of mecca but i soon found that no man was ever great by imitations my desire of excellence impelled me to transfer my attention to nature and to life nature was to be my subject and men to be my auditors i could never describe what i had not seen i could not hope to move those with delight or terror whose interests and opinions i did not understand being now resolved to be a poet i saw everything with a new purpose my sphere of attention was suddenly magnified no kind of knowledge was to be overlooked i ranged mountains and deserts for images and resemblances and pictured upon my mind every tree of the forest and flower of the valley i observed with equal care the crags of the rock and the pinnacles of the palace sometimes i wandered along the mazes of the rivulet and sometimes watched the changes of the summer clouds to a poet nothing can be useless 
whatever is beautiful and whatever is dreadful must be familiar to his imagination he must be conversant with all that is awfully vast or elegantly little the plants of the garden the animals of the wood the minerals of the earth and meteors of the sky must all concur to store his mind with inexhaustible variety for every idea is useful for the enforcement or decoration of moral or religious truth and he who knows most will have most power of diversifying his scenes and of gratifying his reader with remote allusions and unexpected instruction all the appearances of nature i was therefore careful to study and every country which i have surveyed has contributed something to my poetical powers in so wide a survey said the prince you must surely have left much unobserved i have lived till now within the circuit of the mountains and yet cannot walk abroad without the sight of something which i had never beheld before or never heeded this business of a poet said imlac is to examine not the individual but the species to remark general properties and large appearances he does not number the streaks of the tulip or describe the different shades of the verdure of the forest he is to exhibit in his portraits of nature such prominent and striking features as recall the original to every mind and must neglect the minuter discriminations which one may have remarked and another have neglected for those characteristics which are alike obvious to vigilance and carelessness but the knowledge of nature is only half the task of a poet he must be acquainted likewise with all the modes of life his character requires that he estimate the happiness and misery of every condition observe the power of all the passions in all their combinations and trace the changes of the human mind as they are modified by various institutions and accidental influences of climate or custom from the sprightliness of infancy to the despondence of decrepitude he must divest himself of the prejudices of his age and country he must consider right and wrong in their abstracted and invariable state he must disregard present laws and opinions and rise to general and transcendental truths which will always be the same he must therefore content himself with the slow progress of his name contemn the praise of his own time and commit his claims to the justice of posterity he must write as the interpreter of nature and the legislator of mankind and consider himself as presiding over the thoughts and manners of future generations 
as a being superior to time and place his labour is not yet at an end he must know many languages and many sciences and that his style may be worthy of his thoughts must by incessant practice familiarise to himself every delicacy of speech and grace of harmony chapter eleven imlac's narrative continued a hint of pilgrimage imlac now felt the enthusiastic fit and was proceeding to aggrandise his own profession when the prince cried out enough thou hast convinced me that no human being can ever be a poet proceed with thy narration to be a poet said imlac is indeed very difficult so difficult returned the prince that i will at present hear no more of his labours tell me whither you went when you had seen persia from persia said the poet i travelled through syria and for three years resided in palestine where i conversed with great numbers of the northern and western nations of europe the nations which are now in possession of all power and all knowledge whose armies are irresistible and whose fleets command the remotest parts of the globe when i compared these men to the natives of our own kingdom and those that surround us they appeared almost another order of beings in their countries it is difficult to wish for anything that may not be obtained a thousand arts of which we never heard are continually labouring for their convenience and pleasure and whatever their own climate has denied them is supplied by their commerce by what means said the prince are the europeans thus powerful or why since they can so easily visit asia and africa for trade or conquest cannot the asiatics and africans invade their coast plant colonies in their ports and give laws to their natural princes the same wind that carries them back would bring us thither they are more powerful sir than we answered imlac because they are wiser knowledge will always predominate over ignorance as man governs the other animals but why their knowledge is more than ours i know not what reason can be given but the unsearchable will of the supreme being when said the prince with a sigh shall i be able to visit palestine and mingle with this mighty confluence of nations till that happy moment shall arrive let me fill up the time with such representations as thou canst give me i am not ignorant of the motive that assembles such numbers in that place and cannot but consider it as the centre of wisdom and piety to which the best and wisest men of every land must be continually resorting 
there are some nations said imlac that send few visitants to palestine for many numerous and learned sects in europe concur to censure pilgrimage as superstitious or deride it as ridiculous you know said the prince how little my life has made me acquainted with diversity of opinions it will be too long to hear the arguments on both sides you that have considered them tell me the result pilgrimage said imlac like many other acts of piety may be reasonable or superstitious according to the principles upon which it is performed long journeys in search of truth are not commanded truth such as is necessary to the regulation of life is always found where it is honestly sought change of place is no natural cause of the increase of piety for it inevitably produces dissipation of mind yet since men go every day to view the fields where great actions have been performed and return with stronger impressions of the event curiosity of the same kind may naturally dispose us to view that country whence our religion had its beginning and i believe no man surveys those awful scenes without some confirmation of holy resolutions that the supreme being may be more easily propitiated in one place than in another is the dream of idle superstition but that some places may operate upon our own minds in an uncommon manner is an opinion which hourly experience will justify he who supposes that his vices may be more successfully combated in palestine will perhaps find himself mistaken yet he may go thither without folly he who thinks they will be more freely pardoned dishonours at once his reason and religion these said the prince are european distinctions i will consider them another time what have you found to be the effect of knowledge are those nations happier than we there is so much infelicity said the poet in the world that scarce any man has leisure from his own distresses to estimate the comparative happiness of others knowledge is certainly one of the means of pleasure as is confessed by the natural desire which every mind feels of increasing its ideas ignorance is mere privation by which nothing can be produced it is a vacuity in which the soul sits motionless and torpid for want of attraction and without knowing why we always rejoice when we learn and grieve when we forget i am therefore inclined to conclude that if nothing counteracts the natural consequence of learning we grow more happy as our minds take a wider range in enumerating the particular comforts of life we shall find many advantages on the side of the europeans 
they cure wounds and diseases with which we languish and perish we suffer inclemencies of weather which they can obviate they have engines for the dispatch of many laborious works which we must perform by manual industry there is such communication between distant places that one friend can hardly be said to be absent from another their policy removes all public inconveniences they have roads cut through the mountains and bridges laid over their rivers and if we descend to the privacies of life their habitations are more commodious and their possessions are more secure they are surely happy said the prince who have all these conveniences of which i envy none so much as the facility with which separated friends interchange their thoughts the europeans answered imlac are less unhappy than we but they are not happy human life is everywhere a state in which much is to be endured and little to be enjoyed chapter twelve the story of imlac continued i am not willing said the prince to suppose that happiness is so parsimoniously distributed to mortals nor can i believe but that if i had the choice of life i should be able to fill every day with pleasure i would injure no man and should provoke no resentments i would relieve every distress and should enjoy the benedictions of gratitude i would choose my friends among the wise and my wife among the virtuous and therefore should be in no danger from treachery or unkindness my children should by my care be learned and pious and would repay to my age what their childhood had received what would dare to molest him who might call on every side to thousands enriched by his bounty or assisted by his power and why should not life glide away in the soft reciprocation of protection and reverence all this may be done without the help of european refinements which appear by their effects to be rather specious than useful let us leave them and pursue our journey from palestine said imlac i passed through many regions of asia in the more civilized kingdoms as a trader and among the barbarians of the mountains as a pilgrim at last i began to long for my native country that i might repose after my travels and fatigues in the places where i had spent my earliest years and gladden my old companions with the recital of my adventures often did i figure to myself those with whom i had sported away the gay hours of dawning life sitting round me in its evening wondering at my tales and listening to my counsels 
when this thought had taken possession of my mind i considered every moment as wasted which did not bring me nearer to abyssinia i hastened into egypt and notwithstanding my impatience was detained ten months in the contemplation of its ancient magnificence and in inquiries after the remains of its ancient learning i found in cairo a mixture of all nations some brought thither by the love of knowledge some by the hope of gain many by the desire of living after their own manner without observation and of lying hid in the obscurity of multitudes for in a city populous as cairo it is possible to obtain at the same time the gratifications of society and the secrecy of solitude from cairo i travelled to suez and embarked on the red sea passing along the coast till i arrived at the port from which i had departed twenty years before here i joined myself to a caravan and re-entered my native country i now expected the caresses of my kinsmen and the congratulations of my friends and was not without hope that my father whatever value he had set upon riches would own with gladness and pride a son who was able to add to the felicity and honour of the nation but i was soon convinced that my thoughts were vain my father had been dead fourteen years having divided his wealth among my brothers who were removed to some other provinces of my companions the greater part was in the grave of the rest some could with difficulty remember me and some considered me as one corrupted by foreign manners a man used to vicissitudes is not easily dejected i forgot after a time my disappointment and endeavoured to recommend myself to the nobles of the kingdom they admitted me to their tables heard my story and dismissed me i opened a school and was prohibited to teach i then resolved to sit down in the quiet of domestic life and addressed a lady that was fond of my conversation but she rejected my suit because my father was a merchant wearied at last with solicitation and repulses i resolved to hide myself for ever from the world and depend no longer on the opinion or caprice of others i waited for the time when the gate of the happy valley should open that i might bid farewell to hope and fear the day came my performance was distinguished with favour and i resigned myself with joy to perpetual confinement hast thou here found happiness at last said rasselas tell me without reserve art thou content with thy condition or dost thou wish to be again wandering and inquiring 
all the inhabitants of this valley celebrate their lot and at the annual visit of the emperor invite others to partake of their felicity great prince said imlac i shall speak the truth i know not one of all your attendants who does not lament the hour when he entered this retreat i am less unhappy than the rest because i have a mind replete with images which i can vary and combine at pleasure i can amuse my solitude by the renovation of the knowledge which begins to fade from my memory and by recollection of the accidents of my past life yet all this ends in the sorrowful consideration that my acquirements are now useless and that none of my pleasures can be again enjoyed the rest whose minds have no impression but of the present moment are either corroded by malignant passions or sit stupid in the gloom of perpetual vacancy what passions can infest those said the prince who have no rivals we are in a place where impotence precludes malice and where all envy is repressed by a community of enjoyments there may be community said imlac of material possessions but there can never be community of love or of esteem it must happen that one will please more than another he that knows himself despised will always be envious and still more envious and malevolent if he is condemned to live in the presence of those who despise him the invitations by which they allure others to a state which they feel to be wretched proceed from the natural malignity of hopeless misery they are weary of themselves and of each other and expect to find relief in new companions they envy the liberty which their folly has forfeited and would gladly see all mankind imprisoned like themselves from this crime however i am wholly free no man can say that he is wretched by my persuasion i look with pity on the crowds who are annually soliciting admission to captivity and wish that it were lawful for me to warn them of their danger my dear imlac said the prince i will open to thee my whole heart i have long meditated an escape from the happy valley i have examined the mountain on every side but find myself insuperably barred teach me the way to break my prison thou shalt be the companion of my flight the guide of my rambles the partner of my fortune and my sole director in the choice of life sir answered the poet your escape will be difficult and perhaps you may soon repent your curiosity 
the world which you figure to yourself smooth and quiet as the lake in the valley you will find a sea foaming with tempests and boiling with whirlpools you will be sometimes overwhelmed by the waves of violence and sometimes dashed against the rocks of treachery amidst wrongs and frauds competitions and anxieties you will wish a thousand times for these seats of quiet and willingly quit hope to be free from fear do not seek to deter me from my purpose said the prince i am impatient to see what thou hast seen and since thou art thyself weary of the valley it is evident that thy former state was better than this whatever be the consequence of my experiment i am resolved to judge with mine own eyes of the various conditions of men and then to make deliberately my choice of life i am afraid said imlac you are hindered by stronger restraints than my persuasions yet if your determination is fixed i do not counsel you to despair few things are impossible to diligence and skill End of chapter 12 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey